Hey, Boom. hey, Facebook and all of our followers, I am super excited to be back this morning after, what, two weeks? Three weeks being The man is an international like superstar, folks. Yeah. So, I as we talk four about... weeks out of the last six weeks, I've been gone. You have been. Yeah. And that we talk about that a lot. Who are you hanging out with? you got to vet who you're taking advice from, who you're doing events with, who you're hanging out with, because in the your long game... is your network. Well, and I think that's true, too, but you also need to remember that other people's success isn't your success. Yeah, exactly. So putting yourself around people is great. Applying those tactics and those techniques and those strategies is great. But you also got to remember that you're where you're at, and that's you. Well, and social media has made it really... Look, it's it's never been easier to start a business, which is a good and a bad thing. Right. It's good in that it's never been easier to start a business. So why have you not started a business yet? And what are you not doing? Like it's so easy to make to start a business today and I can have a hundred thousand dollar business within a month. Like right. I can easily start a hundred thousand dollar business. Like you should be focused on having a at least a top one percent four hundred and thirty five thousand dollar a year business within your first year. Right. No ifs, ands or buts, it's easy. However, that being said, because it is so easy to start a business, so many people are doing it. And so social media has made it so easy to make it look like you're Killing doing it. whatever it is that you're doing that you're right. wanting to do, right? And so there's so many people that all they're focused on is just their social media and they're not really focused on their business. And it's people that haven't really learned how to monetize whatever it is that they're doing. And so they're just trying to do stuff and then make it look like they're big players on well, social right. media. And I think and that's so, so many people are doing that. Most of the influencers that I roll with that run businesses like yourself, build the business first. Yeah. Talk about it on social media second. Yeah, absolutely. Build the business first, then promote it. Yeah. Then generate leads. Then put the message out into the marketplace. Yeah, you've got to become efficient. I've got, you got to have a business you know, I've first. I've been at the events that, let's see, I've done three events each week. So nine events in the last three three weeks. And at each of those events, like I use, there's, I've got a formula. It's like an eight step system to building a $10 million business. And the first, one of the first four things that you've got to do is you've got to focus on what you're doing first and become really, really efficient at it before you start looking into either doing other things, starting other businesses, new lines, new services, new products, right. new investments, or trying to build a social media account. Like you got to focus and get profitable and scale from there. Right. But you can't scale before you have maximized whatever it is that you're doing because well, right. you're just going to – what you're doing is you're building a house on a sand foundation at that point. Crumble. And so many people are doing that right now. So many people are – they get a little bit of success early on, and instead of building out their foundation with that success and then scaling, they have a little bit of success, and they're like, well, I'm going to scale, and I'm going to show the world what I'm doing, and they haven't built their foundation yet. That's not going to sustain, especially when we have a market correction, not going to sustain whatsoever. Right. And so it's like the oil and gas industry. You're going to see so many of these little startup mom and pop shops that fall under to people like us that have a foundation built and have a business built. And we've got multiple sources of income now because we've built a foundation around our real estate investment company. Right. Well, we'll get back into it. We're going to give you our Absolutely. Cash Cast theme song featuring Pat Hilton and Vanilla Ice. And Ty Lasseter. The and Ty Lasseter. theme on the podcast. That, well, right. But, you know. <laughs> right? <laughs> I still think the Vanilla Ice I mean, your so face savage. looks good, but who's running the well, show right. and making the money it's here, true. Pat? Come on It's now. true. Let's, let's get to the Ty Lasseter intro. <laughs> Cash, cast, coming in fast. Relative info on investments that will smash. Miss out on this, you'll be coming in last. Acoustic force, bringing the intro blast. Hey, this is Vanilla Ice, and I'm chilling with my man, Ty Lasseter. And I want to tell you, one command, 
stop, collaborate, and listen. Key City Capital is about to throw down. So get it how you live it. And always remember, cash, cash, baby. <laughs> Bet. I have had a number of sellers that have told us that we got the deal because we touched their their property, we touched them, we had marketing to them, we were in front of them more often than our competition was. Well, and that goes back to cash, cast, baby. cash, cast, baby. Bet. That's so good. It's <laughs> so good. My and little three-year-old walks around the house now saying, bet. <laughs> that's so funny. But that's what we were talking about when the thing was playing is that Dude, we keep it real on this show. Absolutely. Like that's, I moved here to get around people that know how to run businesses. Yeah. And I, let's just be honest. I've been a solopreneur for so long. And I talked to my buddy, Jeff Hunter, who's a big name in the uh, agency space. Mm-hmm. He's hanging out with your gal, Randy Zuckerberg. Oh, this yeah. Week, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. a bunch of people that you know, some of these celebrity uh, influencers. And he was saying, listen, right now you're a business operator. Mm-hmm. And you need to you need to go from BO to BO, business operator yeah. to business owner. Exactly. And a lot of people don't want to admit these things online because it it they feel vulnerable or they yeah. feel like they're not good enough. Well, and we I was talking about that with my partners this morning. So many people get they they get comfortable and they want to be comfortable, and so they hide behind comfort. Right. They know what they're they know what they can do, but oftentimes. People that, and that's why solopreneurs struggle to become the entrepreneur and be able to have multiple businesses because they get comfortable doing that transactional task that got them to where they're at. But an entrepreneur has the visionary mind and so they're constantly coming up with new ideas. You can't train that. You can't train somebody to to have that, that mindset. You can train anybody to do the transactional tasks. And so that's a... That's a quantifiable job. Like right. I will pay $70,000 for you to do this transactional right. task or these transactional tasks across these companies. What you can't do and can't train and can't quantify is the, visualization. Is the, the ideas and coming up with the ideas and how quickly you come up with the ideas and then implement them into a system and a process. And so, you know, so many solopreneurs get caught up and they're like, well, this is what I've created. And so now I'm just going to do the transactional tasks to accomplish that. And it becomes a comfort blanket for them. Right. And you to grow and to be successful and to, to scale your business, you have to get uncomfortable. So you have to be able to step outside of doing what it is that you're comfortable and you know how to do. Leave that behind for somebody else to do that you're confident in fulfilling that and then come up with a new idea. And so that that generating ideas is what's so difficult for for entrepreneurs. But in order to grow, that's what you have to be able to do. Right. So we're way off task already. Let's get that's into okay. it. That's okay. talk about sub twos. He's talking morning. about sub twos this morning. Yeah. But I, I use this time because I need this time yeah. to get my coaching time with someone who's speaking all over the country. Absolutely. I need that time. So I'm willing to put myself, uh, my coolness at risk or whatever, my ego at risk or yeah. whatever, to get the information that and I need. In business, uh, Carlos, Carlos Reyes and I were going back and forth talking about this yesterday in that, you know, that your ego, <laughs> I can't, re- he, it's coming ego from is not he your put amigo. your amigo in there, right? He's got, got his rhyming, but you've got to put your ego as a business owner on that shelf right. and get rid of it. And don't get me wrong. I have high expectations of myself and my right. company. I have higher expectations of myself and our company than anybody else. And 
that's just part of my personality. But I am not going to have an ego in that, well, I'm the only one that can accomplish that. Right. I have put that aside, and I know that I can learn from other people. And your ego, ha not yours, but an ego is the fastest thing to destruction. Right. You can get to success quickly having that just go-getter mentality, but you'll get to success, and then your success is a magnification of your true personality. So if you have an egotistical personality, that success is going to is going to extrapolate that and make it even larger right. and you're just going to crumble. Right. And so you've got to shove that ego and be ready to grow. Right. So anyway, yeah, I appreciate it, but I do I use this time yeah, to grow every single week. I so uh, you guys subject to uh, you don't want to get that advice let's, from me. Let's so. get into it. So I'm going to go into I've I've been getting a, a bunch of questions and so actually a couple of the questions that I'm going to answer are related around what made me decide to do subject twos. And so with subject twos, uh, we do two, maybe three of those a month with the volume that we're doing. And so that's maybe roughly five to 10% of the volume that we're doing in totality, in total deals. But subject twos are great in that you can come in oftentimes with absolutely no money and, and no cost now, except for the marketing, the marketing to get them. And so I'm going to get into the questions later about one of the questions that I get is I want to focus on sub twos because I know I can get into them with no money. So how do I target those? And so it's more difficult to target one solidly, but I'll answer those later. The thing is, is with, with real estate, real estate in general, and especially sub twos and, and how you structure deals, it's not black and white. Every deal is not black and white. There is so many different ways that you can structure every deal. So oftentimes we'll get a sub two, not that we were focusing on it to be a sub two in the beginning. Okay, so we, we come in with, okay, what are the problems that we're going to solve? And we know what those problems are. And then we, we create our marketing around that. So we're going to target those, those leads or those problems. Okay, and then as those problems come, what is the best way to solve that problem? And that's not just the best way for us to solve it. That's also what is the best scenario for the potential seller. And oftentimes you're going to have a seller and, and we're competing with, you're competing now with the open doors and um, we buy ugly houses, the, the franchises and things like that, large franchises, and you're competing with them. But the thing that a, a, real, estate, uh, a real estate office can have and a real estate company can have that will differentiate you from those large uh, nationwide uh, franchises is that you can come in and offer more solutions to the problem. Instead of just going in every time and like New Western is making cash offers, low cash offers, right? Well, they may offer a little bit higher because they're willing to use their large client database of buyers, if you will, who are using are okay with buying properties at less of an equity position. As a full-time real estate investor, your focus needs to be, you know, one of the things is on equity position and how much you're making on each deal and the the lifetime value of that as well. Not just today's value, the cash value, but the lifetime value of that as well. And that can really be built in when you get creative with your financing, right? And when you start doing some of these creative financing techniques and strategies. And so when you come in and, and you have somebody who, yeah, we're going to make a low cash offer on every deal that we come across, right? Don't get me wrong. I always, we always make a cash offer. 
but that cash offer may not be the best solution for the seller. And so then you've got to go through a laundry list of other solutions. And one of those solutions is sub two. And with some of the problems that you're going to be faced with, with solving, uh, albeit, uh, Pre-foreclosure, for example. Now, very competitive market in Texas, but that is one of the areas where you can get sub-twos relatively easily. Now, what happens with with pre-foreclosures is so many of the fly-by-night real estate companies right now that are just focused on wholesaling struggle to do to, to have a solution for pre-foreclosures when a owner has owned the house for less than five years without a significant down payment being made because there's not enough equity position in the property. So a cash, an all cash offer is not the best situation because you're gonna end up offering less than what the value or what the, what the, the loan value is and then you're gonna have to do a short sale if the bank will even agree to it, okay? And so there's other solutions and that's where you come in with a sub two. Now, that's gonna move me on to my next point. You can't just focus on equity or gain on gain on sell when you are offering a sub two offer or a creative financing offer. There are a number of things. In fact, there's four items that you want to look at and you can be upside down on any one of those items, but it still be a profitable real estate deal for you. Okay. And so equity can be zero, zero, net, net. You can almost be a little bit upside down on your equity when you're doing an owner finance uh, disposition because of the interest spread as well. So let me go through those four categories real quick. First, obviously you've got the monthly cash flow, okay? The monthly cash flow is one of the first things that you can actually be upside down on for a temporary period and be okay in a sub two. In fact, we've got a deal like that right now where we had a short-term rental position on it the, the person that moved into it put a, a, a deposit down or a non-refundable option consideration right there. It's a, it's, a, it's a rent to own scenario. However, with the laws in Texas, you've got a short-term rent to own uh, time period. And then that moves into a rental and you just have a verbal agreement with your uh, tenant buyer. Okay, so we were upside down on a short-term period. However, we had a 15-year payoff, 15-year amortizing note that we took over sub two with very low interest, 3.8% interest. Well, because it's on a 15 year note and we structured the payment for the tenant buyer on a 30 year note, we're paying down principal a lot faster. And so we are upside down about $150 a month in cash flow for a short term period. We also took a significant uh, down payment or non-refundable option consideration on the front end, and they were going to have a second one at some point during a two-year period. Okay, so so you've got cash flow. Cash flow, you 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 want to be positive, but you can be negative on it short term on sub twos. Then you've got your non-refundable option consideration or down payment that you're getting from your buyer or tenant buyer. Okay, so that's going to be another uh, cash transaction, cash flow for you on the front end. Then you've got the equity or the gain on sale that you would have. And the fourth thing is, is you've got interest spread on your disposition. You're paying interest on the note that you're acquiring. More than likely, it was a, it's a low interest note. 99% uh, of the time I've found that it's a low interest note, especially in the market that we've had over the last 10 to 12 years. Most of the notes that we're taking over 
are in the, I've, we've had them as low as three and are in the threes. I'm like 3.75 and especially on that 15 year that I was talking about. And the highest that I've seen is like 5.75. Okay. And so that's what, you, that's on the note that you're going to be acquiring. Then when you dispose of it and you sell it with the owner financing in place, or if it's a rent to own, the, the, the future payment, once it becomes an owner financeable note, if that's what you're doing with it, we're disposing of them. You know, we, we have a, a, a permanent buy down of interest rate based on the down payment that they make. We'll go as low, we've gone as low as seven and a half, maybe 8%. And then we'll go as high as 10 or 11, it depends. So you've got those four categories that you're looking to be positive in. You don't have to be positive in all four of them for it to still be a good deal. Uh, we've, we've had uh, a down payment that we had to make that was higher than the non-refundable option consideration we were getting from our tenant buyer. But then on the other three, we were still in the positive. We've had ones where the equity position is very similar. I'm gonna give you an example here in just a minute of one where the equity position on a quarter million dollar house, we only had, uh, as, com as it compared to the ARV, only $10,000 in equity. So the house was worth uh, roughly 245, to, 235 to 245. We were buying it at 225. Now keep in mind when you're doing a creative exit strategy with creative financing towards a new buyer, you can also sell at a premium above ARV sometimes. So you can reach that you know, I was looking conservatively at 235, knowing that ARV could go up as high as 245, but we could also reach to 255 maybe with an owner finance type disposition. Okay, so you could be close to the same on equity. Now, you don't want to go too negative on equity, um, just to be careful, unless you're you're doing maybe a, instead of taking it over sub two, you, you would want to look into doing a, um, like a, lease to own or lease options, something like that, so that you're not locked in into negative equity. Uh, unless you know that you're going to be able to carry the cash flow indefinitely for a significant period of time, or you maybe have an owner finance buyer already lined up. And then the fourth one is that interest spread. Interest spread, you're more than likely always going to be in the positive on that one. Uh, you, you definitely want to focus to be in the positive. You don't want to be offering unless you've got a ton of equity. Sometimes I've had people that they wanted a lower interest rate. So I just increased the purchase price. So increase the purchase price and you'll lower their interest rate. Uh, and then, you know, so we ended up having very close to a prime interest rate for somebody, but we increased the purchase price like 20% above the current ARV, knowing that we would have appreciation in the area. And it doesn't matter when you're doing an owner finance disposition and you're holding that note without the plans to sell it, especially in the near future with appreciation, then you don't, you're not getting an appraisal done. You are the appraiser and the buyer, whatever the buyer is okay buying it at, determines the true market value. And so if the buyer is willing to increase the purchase price in order to decrease the, the interest rate, great, so be it, we can, we can do that. Um, and so, but like I said, most of the time on the interest spread, you're gonna be in the positive on that one. Okay, so let me give you a couple of examples of two recent deals that we've done um, and kind of show you that it is not black and white. You're gonna base it based on the, the true problem, the underlying problem that that seller has and how you can fix that problem. Now, don't get me wrong here. You still have to be somewhere 70 to 90% black and white. 
so that you can scale this business. You have to be able to take a situation and hand it off to your team and say, a majority of the time, this is what it's going to look like. But if you have a situation where there's some issues and you're not exactly sure how to close that deal as the closer, as the acquisitions agent, then you're going to bring those gray areas to me. If And you can even do a range. We've done a range. Anywhere inside this range, lock it up. If it falls outside of this range, bring it to our COO Malia first. If they still need, if you still need some guidance on that, then bring it to one of the four partners and we'll work through it. But keep in mind, this is not black and white. It is how you can solve the problem the best. Now there's a, like I said, there's a guidance to that um, and you can work your way through it and 90% of the problems you can solve with a documentable process. Some of them are gonna fall outside of that. So here's two examples of that that we've done in the last two months. Um, that were just that that were recent that, that popped out to me. So for example, on one, I'm going to give you an example of this first one where the equity position was not that big of a difference, okay? So this is a property that the seller owed $220,000 on the property. The house is worth a $235 to $245, okay? So right there, there's about $15,000 in equity in it. However, the seller needed $5,000 in, in order to relocate and move and, and everything like that. So we were figuring out how we could do that. So in essence, what we ended up doing, we paid $5,000 as a down payment. Basically, it was a 225 purchase price. It was sub two of the 220 plus a $5,000 cash price to the seller, which they got as a basically a down payment, right? Their payment was $1,498. $1,498 PITI, Principal Interest Tax and Insurance. They had 26 years left on that note at 4.5% interest. All right? Now, I know that with a, I'm, I'm planning on all of our, most all of what we do is of the creative finance disposition, unless we're working with other investors. We do, we do I say most of that, about 30% of what we do is rentals. The other... 60 to 70%, depending, is either rent to own, owner finance, or some sort of creative uh, exit, creative financing exit strategy. All right. So I knew that we would be able to sell it at the higher end of the ARV and maybe a little higher, 245 to 255. Okay. So I had a list of buyers already that I knew were looking. So what we ended up doing, we ended up selling it at 255 with a $20,000 down payment. So it's 235, uh, $235 basically mortgage or note, okay? Now that $20,000 down payment, they were gonna pay 10,000 day one as a non-refundable option consideration. And then they were gonna have two years to come up with the additional $10,000. We were gonna set the payment based on as if they paid the full $20,000 down payment, all right? And so I'll go into another, like, Actually, in fact, I'm going to bring our real estate attorney, Scott Horn, on in the next couple of weeks, and we'll go through the creative exit strategies, and I'll have him explain three or four of the exit strategies like that and how we go through this whole process, all right? So with this, though, two thirty-five on a note, $255,000 purchase price, $20,000 down payment, $10,000 a day, $10,000 over the next two years, and then their payment. Their payment was based on a 30-year note at 9.99% interest. So their payment to us is gonna be $2,418 PITI. So a th almost a thousand, it's 
of monthly cash flow, okay? Now, it's only twenty dollars to $25,000 in equity position. That's only a $10,000 uh, equity uh, gain, right? $225,000 purchase, we're making $25,000. We're at about a 10% gain. Not great, right? Not great on an investment strategy. However, when you have little to no money out of pocket, that's still an infinite return. So that monthly cash flow is an infinite return and that equity position is an in infinite return, right? So on this deal, we had $5,000 cash out of pocket day one. We had $10,000 cash in pocket from our buyer day one. We had some closing costs on both sides, right? And so we, we had a $5,000 positive gain on the NROC on day one, plus another $10,000 over the next two years at some point, plus $900 a month in positive cash flow, and $25,000 in an equity position, and a five, five and a half point spread on interest. Now that interest spread is our huge gain here. The other, and, and our cash flow. Cash flow is a really big gain there too, $900 a month. Typically on a lot of our sub twos, we're only at 100 to $200 positive cash flow. Now, so we've got two big gains there. We've got the interest spread, which is over time, and we've got the cash flow. The, the, the difference in our down payments is not very big because we had to come out of pocket a little bit and then we had uh, a little bit of a gain in the difference on our cash inflow and the equity position is not a big deal, right? So you want to take into on, on lease options or sub twos, you want to take into account all four categories, okay? Unlike on a cash offer when you, you only have a couple of strategies that you can, that you can exit with at that point. Right? So the other example is one where we had a massive equity spread and we really had positives all the way across, but I'm going to show you how creative we got with this one once we really found out what the problems were and what was, was really going on. Okay? So we had a guy who he, he, was, he owed $2,500 in back taxes. He owed $45,000 on the house. So we know that we're going to have to come to the table with $2,500 day one to bring the taxes current. Okay. Also, we know that the house, the house was in pretty good condition, especially for an owner finance type exit strategy in the market that we were in with this one. So we knew that it was worth somewhere between 80 and 90,000 as is on an owner finance exit strategy. The guy's payment on his $45,000 subject to note that was outstanding was $600, 600 and some change, PITI. Uh, I'm sorry, I take that back. Principal and interest. Taxes and insurance were not escrowed on this one. This was $600, $600 a month, principal and interest. Okay, so with that also, I found out he's he had a new girlfriend. They were relocating, they were gonna live together, but they were moving out of the country. He's ready to just walk away from this. He had didn't have the cash really to, to bring the note or to uh, to to bring the taxes current. Didn't want to deal with it. Was just wanted to be done with this house altogether. Okay, was ready to walk away from it. The interest rate was a little high because it was there was a, an investment company, private company that was involved in the financing of it. It wasn't a standard bank, so his interest rate was six and a half or a little bit more. So that's why his payment was, was so high based on the, the principal balance due. Okay, so with that though, he also was gonna be downsizing when he moved out of the country into another place. So he had some stuff that he needed to leave behind. 
So we have storage facility areas. We were also going to be able to let him store some of the stuff in the detached um, storage unit that he had on the property. So we were going to let him leave it there for two months before we moved it. So what we had him do, he did have to pay us $500 to move his stuff once we get ready to move it. And then he's paying us $200 a month on his original note in order for us to allow him to just walk away from it and us store his stuff somewhere. Now, of that, our cost is about $25 a month on storing his stuff. So his payment's $600. He's paying us $200. So now the net payment is $400 plus our $25 cost to store his stuff. So $425. $425 is our out-of-pocket. Okay? $425 is our out-of-pocket as we take that on sub two. We've sold the house at $90,000 and an $850 a month payment. So we're positively cash flow and $425 there. So you can see how creative it gets. It really depends on what the issue with the seller is and what they're trying to do. If you're just coming in and offering low cash offers on every deal that you make and not creating a relationship with that seller and finding out what the true problem is, you're missing out on opportunities. Yeah, you're going to get some deals and you can get deals on the mark on the MLS that way by just making you know, 50 cents on the dollar at, uh, offers out there and eventually you're going to get some deals and you're going to get some deals the same way using marketing, just offering low cash offers. But when you go in and you truly find out what that motivated seller's problems are and you come at this as I'm here to solve problems instead of just making low cash offers, the, the opportunities start opening themselves up and you're going to find yourself being able to get more deals and close on more deals because of your ability to focus on the problem and solve the problem instead of just a, a closed track mind focus on one thing only. All right. So that kind of brings me to the end of the, uh, the training session of this and the, the value, the value out of it. So Pat, come on back in here with questions. I can already tell you were sitting there like looking at stuff and yeah, coming up with questions uh, already you're, before You're we blowing start. my brain every time with the, uh, with the value. Know, right? Like this alone, I, I, this is pretty I good got stuff. this in one of the classes that I paid almost $12,000 for. Well, and the I majority think, of this. Well, now, right. we went into a little bit more depth but in the class. But still, this is I mean, this is ten dollars to $12,000 worth of value that I'm just offering for well, free. Well, yeah, and that's why we do this is so that we can learn. I mean, boy, it's a, it's a lot of information to intake. Uh, I also thought, was still kind of chuckling about how you roasted me for the theme song. I know, right? The theme like, song. I, I'm allowing you oh, on this podcast. I know. It's my following. I'm going to get kicked off. You're going to get that for a while. Right. I like it. I can take that one. <laughs> Um, now, Vanilla Ice, like, see, I know when to kiss butt. Right. Like, he's got a larger following than right. I am. So, yeah, Rob's I'm going to bring his in. He's off the hook. Rob's this, off this the is, hook. He's my, he's my, my co-promo video I here. love that. That's a beautiful thing. Pat, Pat we're working you on it. You better get in you line, gotta... bro. You better get in line. <laughs> um, so, I think that this is good because, uh, like you said, wholesaling's a big term out there. Yeah. Um, and I think that, like you've discussed here, it's kind of a... Uh, a way for people to make money quickly, correct? Is yeah, what I'm yeah, understanding yeah. with yeah. no money down on wholesaling. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's one of the questions that I'll kind of get into here. It's very, it's very transactional, right? Very transactional. Like you've got to go out, you've got to. Everybody's coming in. I, this is funny. About three months ago, well, one of my one of my prized pieces of art. I, I mean, it's. A, a very expensive piece of artwork that one of my good friends from high school 
has done the art for the Olympics. He's done the art for like the uh, the the Marlins. Oh, really? uh, he was a professional baseball player for a hmm. short period, and now he he's he does artwork. And so one of my prizes, he does a lot of lions, lions, and it's based on kind of biblical principles there and stuff. And so one of my favorite things that I have, yeah, I mean. I mean, I can I can buy a lot of things now, and so really, it's like not items that just somebody could buy or you could buy that I well, like. You want it's, something it's that means eclect- something? Ec- yeah, eclectic things like that, right. and so that has meaning to me. And it's a lion that has half of his face is scarred and the other half is unblemished. And you know, any lion that you see that has no scars, you know, he's lived a sheltered life and hasn't had to fend for himself or do anything. So any lion, the pride of the lion, the pride lion of any pride is a scarred lion, but he's big and, and massive, right? And so it's how you make it through, it's how you make it through those those mountains in front of you and conquer them so that you can allow your reconfirmation right. of your face and stuff. And so Anyways, I made a lion post about, you know, being a lion and doing whatever it takes a couple of months ago. And then I started noticing, um, uh, oh, what's the, uh, Thomas, Eric Thomas made it up, made a post about it. Now all these people are posting about well, it. Well, yeah. Now. And so, but wholesaling, I say that in that wholesaling is very similar. Every, every single day you have to be a lion and go out and kill something and bring it back in because the day that you don't, is going to be the next day you have nothing to eat at, eat from, right? And so that's the best way that I can explain wholesaling. It's much like, it's much like being a realtor, but you're not getting paid a set fee. You can make the the amount that you make from any one deal is endless based on what the market perceives as the value of that property. Right. So your negotiation and your skills, volume is a, yeah 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 and volume. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's transactional. Right. It's you have to transact business in order for you to make money in that. It's a transactional business, but there is no set cap on what you can make. Right. And so unlike, a wholesaler is not a true real estate investor. You're a transaction coordinator, okay? You go out and you negotiate a deal on a property and then you sell that property to a real estate investor. Right. And you make a fee in the middle. Right. The gain on the gain on that transaction, and right? so the reason why I brought and that up is because this isn't like that. This is not like that. I've at noticed all. a lot of the deals that you guys have built your foundation around are owner finance. We built our so foundation to, first right. before we started doing anything wholesale related at all. Right. Be- and and so I don't so want to go you, into that too too much yet because I've, I've, I'm actually answering two questions around yeah, that here in a minute. Too. You see what I'm asking yeah, though? Exactly. Is that and so we talk a lot about passive income and cash flowing exactly. assets. That's building that foundation. And that's where I was kind of drawing the line and, between the and two. And so you have to. It's short term sacrifice for a long term gain. Okay. And that's that's business. You can you can gain today. But you're going to have to do the exact same thing that you did today tomorrow and indefinitely. Or that gain goes away. Right. If you're doing a transactional business, anything transactional. Now, don't get me wrong. We do a lot, a lot of our businesses are transactional now. But we built a foundation around building legacy first. So we sacrificed for 18 months when we started our business, we sacrificed to build a legacy. Right. With that foundation that we built and that legacy that we built, my kids and my kids' kids are now set for life. So you understand where I'm going else. with that. With a transactional right. business, the day that I stop, 
My you kids don't, don't get money. anything else. Right. You run out. Yeah, and then at some point, so it's like retirement. You know, if you you build up this retirement account and then you retire at sixty five, but if you live until ninety five, how much re, how much money do you have in that retirement account? Because you got it could use disappear, it, right? And so with transactional business, it's the same thing. The day that you decide to retire, that income source is going to go away. So you better be living below that income source for long enough right. and have enough saved up to live it out if you're not going to do anything else. Right. Or you need to be owning assets. Right. And that's what I'm getting at here is you've got to own assets. Whether you, I'm not just saying you have to own property. I own property. I own businesses. And I own businesses that I'm not even a part of. Right. You know, I own assets. And that's where, you know, Robert Kiyosaki and these big you know, one of the things, and, and I, I have this in our quarterly our quarterly report that we send out, we sent out this month to our investors. And one of the things, you know, during this quarter, uh, I spoke at the National, uh, National Achievers Conference in Atlanta with Tony Robbins, with um, uh, Dean Graziosi, with Grant Cardone, with Russell Brunson, with JT Fox. And all of these people, you see them on stage, and that's where they make a lot of their money from. But that's where they make their transactional money. The day they stop right. doing that, they're going to stop earning money with that business. They have, but they have legacy businesses yeah, as well. Say. They own assets. They own other businesses. They own other companies. Gary Vee has his wine company that he doesn't even do anything with anymore, but he still makes money from that company right. because it's ran by his team. Mm -hmm. So they own assets and they own properties. And that's what so many people now just don't understand. There's so many people that, oh, I'm going to start this wholesaling business. I'm going to get into properties. I'm going to make a bunch of money. But then as soon as I make that money, I'm going to go out and I'm going to buy my Rolexes and my Rolls Royces and my Lamborghinis and, and stuff like that. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I like nice things. I have nice jewelry. I just bought a phenomenal, nice new house. Right. My team and I are all, we live very lavishly. But the day that our transactional business stops, we still have a foundation that is going to pay us whether we show up tomorrow, the next day, right. or not. And I think that's, as a newcomer, obviously, yeah. someone who's <clears throat> learning this stuff before I just dive in mm -hmm. with whatever money, I, there's risk involved with this. Absolutely. And the so more you, the risk, the more the opportunity. Right. But you've got to have an inherent an inherent level of risk right. that you're willing to undertake. And you got to be educated before. It's you risky. Jump into that it's stuff. risky to walk away from that job. I mean, right. I had 100 I made $164,000 as a W2 earner my last year right. at a job. It was risky for me to walk away from that knowing the amount of property that I had done and then ultimately only make $75,000 right. the next year, right? That's a risk. Totally. But it's also a risk to set at that job knowing that I was never going to make more than about $175,000 right. for the next 30 years. And then at some point I'm going to have to retire and how much money I'm going to have saved up at retire. That's a risk to sit there and think that that job was going to be there indefinitely because at right. any time they could say, I don't need you. Anymore. And that's another but, reason why I brought this up. That goes back into what I did was I could have easily played it safe and, you know, had daddy get me the old marketing gig at Anheuser-Busch, but guess what? Anheuser-Busch, 10, 15 later, got bought out. Exactly. And, and you all never those know people, what's going to happen. Yeah. I went through a merger at one point mm -hmm. in my career, and I got lucky in that they offered me a year's severance or to go on with the new company. Now, the new company was 60 miles away, and I had just bought a house. So... I didn't want to go make that commute, so I'm going to take a year severance. I get a year severance, took three months off, then I went and go got another job, right? But 
at any point in time, you don't know if you're going to lose that job, if you're going to lose the ability to work, right. maybe even go to that job. And then what is what what benefits are you going to get? Are they uh, are the benefits as strong as what you are currently making, and are they going to be for the lifetime? Right. Definitely. And that's what There's I so love about what you, you talk about with the different solutions, the different ways you can provide for the customer. Yeah. It's it's not just uh you know we buy houses and sell them. Yeah. It's we provide solutions to people. Well, and I kind of chuckle. It it, it actually it, it actually hurt. I feel sorry for it. like I, I almost feel sorry for it when I. I see a I see wholesalers oftentimes offering subject to properties as a wholesale deal. And I just ask why? Because you can do that deal with little to no money. And so what that shows me is the instant gratification our society has built. They are so driven by that instant gratification of making money today that they're willing to give up. 30 years or more. And that's of this income, question that's constantly in the back of my head. It's like, why would you do that? Like, right. you're, you are saying that today, this, this subject to property that I could virtually buy for free right. is worth more for me to get the ten dollars or $20,000 wholesale fee right. than to take it on and, yeah, that I'm not going to get $20,000 in cash flow for maybe two years, but I'm going to have. $100,000 in equity or interest gain over the next X amount of and years. And the more I'm around it and the more I hear it, I would rather have five or 10 of those deals than, than anything a, else, than, really. Than for you to give me 10000 a deal that I would make $10,000 on tomorrow. Well, yeah, because Absolutely. then I need freaking 50 more of those. Exactly, you because you're going to have to go do it again and again right. and again and again. I would rather find the right ones and mm -hmm. cash flow those. And now don't, so again, don't get me wrong. We, you know, we, what we ended up doing, the very first month that we really, after we, we got coaching, we got a coach, right. uh, went through Rich Dad and everything, and, and had JT as our business coach. Rich Dad the Hall very, of Famers, by the way. Rich yes, Dad Hall of Famers. The very first month that we went through that and really realized we had five properties at the time when we did that. All of them were in disarray. We really were not going to make money with them if we were just continuing to do it the way we had been doing it as a fix and flip. Figured out how to exit those and, and come up with a creative exit strategy. We took the money that we made on that exit strategy and put in to buy some properties that we were going to hold. And over that next 30 days, we did started our marketing. The first 14, uh, of the first 14 deals that we did, we wholesaled those first 14 deals in that month. And we took the capital from that, injected it back into more marketing and a uh, kind of down payment on a multifamily and a second multifamily very quickly thereafter. And we put some into reserves so that we could live for the next few months, knowing that from now on, for the next year to year and a half, everything We're that building. we buy, we are gonna build and hold right. and build legacy for ourselves. And we did that and we sacrificed doing that. Now, we, with the volume that we're doing, we're doing like uh, last, week before last we did eight deals. Last week we only did four, but we're doing 20 to 35 deals a month, give or take. And uh, and it's really been, I think the lowest we've done in the last six months was like 24 deals in a month. So it's really 24 to about 35. And with that, we don't need to keep all of those now, obviously. Right. 
And we've got a bunch of partners and of all of our investors and partners, some of those want to own active real estate as well. And we've created the products around our real estate business to allow us to offer turnkey solutions to those investors. And so we not only, we don't just then wholesale it off and we're done, we wholesale it, but then we manage that, that portfolio for that investor. And so we've got continued cash flow from those deals as well. Yeah. And so with that, you know, we keep two to two to eight of the properties every month ourselves and the rest of them we offer them to those partners and we work with our partners on those deals like that and so but that was after we got that foundation built and so if the market crashed tomorrow i know that i at least have a foundation that's been built that's going to allow me to sustain and i don't have to go out and do the exact same thing over and over every single day in order to continue to exist. And so, like I said, it's just, there's difference, and it doesn't mean that you don't use all the different Exactly, I use all of them. Right, but that's a popular question that people ask me, all people have started asking me questions, and I send them our videos. Yeah. So I'll go on and I'll be like, oh, well you wanna find uh, the market, so let's, here's the one where you build your market, you target your market. So, and, and then tell them to send me questions like right. on that. Like tell them, yeah, here's the video to watch and ask Ty questions and, and I'll interact absolutely on but stuff. But that's that I've one done. thing that I always say to people is you got to think about what the best solution is for each deal. Mm-hmm. Because if you try to do the same, if I try to sell a theme song to every person, that person might need a podcast. Exactly. Or that person might yeah. need video marketing. So now or you've that, got tunnel vision. This is what Jeff and I talked about and yesterday. It's, it's, it's all, you know, it's all in the same related field. Right. So you can do all of it very, very well. Right. But it's just not saying, it's not you forcing what you want on the client. Right. Now, I'm not saying that the client always knows best. Sometimes the client doesn't know what they need, but you need to be able, that's where your job as a consultant then comes right. in and says, okay, you you don't need the theme song that I really like doing. You don't right. need the theme song. You're telling me you don't want a podcast, but really here's what you need to do. And maybe it's like in the middle. It's not fully a podcast, but we're going to start doing these content videos. Right, for like you, Boone right? does. Exactly. So Boone's isn't really a podcast. It's content videos every week. And so he's not looking for the live audience and stuff like that, but it's it's content related. like Right, and it's presenting, right. It's presenting what deals you guys are doing on the Key City Capital. Yeah, and so page. now our investors can see that. Our partners can see that. Right. And it's, a, it's an update for them. But it also can educate other people. And, and so. it opens up the communication field exactly. as, as, as a content place. And, you know, I ended up doing a theme song for it anyway. Right. So exactly. it's like it all kind of plays into yeah. we needed a theme song for the show anyway. Absolutely. So it's like it all kind of works together. But it's like you said, I think that's very important in any businesses. You know, one person might not need their, their lawn mowed, but they need their, their bushes trimmed every exactly. two months. Exactly. And if you don't have the bushes trimmed, you get fined by the HOA in right. Texas. Yeah. Just so you guys know. <laughs> Speaking from experience, right? There, right? So, so you have to have all these little systems in place yeah. to make your life easier yeah. or to run your business or Absolutely. to have the video and the audio and this. It's the same thing. It, I always try to relate it to what I'm good at because I don't talk about stuff that I don't know anything about. Right. And so subject to or owner finance or a wholesale or a whole tail, like all these different terms are different creative solutions that you can provide for your seller. Right. You know, absolutely. At the end of the day. So, yeah, I mean, well, we're I, let's I want to an- answer these. The next two. But questions I wanted for to sure jump that into the subject to that because, two thing yeah, because perfect. a lot of people don't talk about this option. They don't. They don't. And so before we get way too long on this one, th- 
one of the questions was, I, I get all the time, I, I hear people say this all the time, and it was actually somebody sent this question is, I want to focus on subject to deals. So what leads do I need to target? And that's kind of what made me go into is I, I need to do a full segment on subject to. What you've got to look at, again, is like what I talked about early on, is you can't target just one specific lead and say, this is, on, this is the only kind of deal I'm going to do. That's what we did. That's what I did for six years in real estate. I said, I'm going to buy real estate properties, and the only thing that I'm going to do with it is a fix and flip. Okay, so now I'm, pigeon, I'm, I'm, I'm pigeonholing myself right. into putting all of my eggs into one basket. So with that situation, what happens is, well, if the market crashes, and I've got those five fix and flips that I was doing at one time, I'm stuck with my pants around my ankles because the only thing that I was planning on doing with that was a fix and flip sell. And now all of a sudden the market's crashed and so I can't sell it because nobody's buying properties. What do I do now? So same thing with sub two. If, if all you're focusing on is saying, I'm going to do, I'm only going to buy property sub two, you're doing the exact same thing that a lot of wholesalers in, are doing and they say, I'm only going to offer low cash offers. Okay, so now you're taking what you want to do and portraying that on the potential lead. So now you're not creating a relationship with that lead. You're not, you're not creating rapport with that lead and you're not solving a problem necessarily for that lead. And so you're going to waste nine out of 10 of your leads because you're not willing to open up and offer more solutions. If you want to be a real estate investor, be a real estate investor. Don't say, I'm going to be a, a subject to investor. I'm going to be a wholesaler only. I'm not saying that you need to be doing everything. I'm not saying that you need to own strip centers and apartment complexes and storage facilities and mobile home parks and single family houses. I'm saying you need to focus on a niche and cast your net wide like I talk about. Focus on maybe if it's small apartment complexes and single family houses like what we do. Great. Now, don't just say I'm only going to do sub twos with those because now you're going to get a bunch of opportunities and you're going to automatically eliminate those opportunities because you want to force your your strategy on that problem when your strategy is not the best solution for that problem. So you need to focus on the leads that are in the niche that you want to focus on. Generate the leads and then figure out what acquisition and disposition strategy you're going to start on. Which leads me into my second question that I'm going to answer. I have no money to start with. How long should I, you know, with once I get into it, I want to start with wholesaling. How long should I wholesale before I start trying to own and buy properties? Again, you're trying to cast your short-term tunnel vision on every problem in the market. You can't do you can do that, but you can't scale that ultimately because you're you're eliminating so many opportunities right. again. And so now that goes back into the questions that you were asking about, right? So same thing with me. Well, I want to only do fix and flips. Okay. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm narrowing down my options there. Now I, I'm missing out on selling a property at a premium to an owner finance buyer when a bank will refinance me out at 80 to 90% of what I would have, uh, would have sold it at on the marketplace as a fix and flip because I can do a cash out refi at 875 to 80% of ARV. Well, if I'm gonna sell it on the market at a fix and flip and I wanna dispose of it quickly, I'm not gonna sell it at 100% of ARV. I'm gonna probably sell it at about 95% of ARV. So when we were doing fix and flips, we were calculating here's ARV, so here's probably what I'm gonna sell it at at a 5% right. discount. Well, now I know a bank will come in and lend me 75 to 80%, which means that's 80 to 90% of what I was gonna sell it at. So I can get most of that money back out 
but then I can make a bigger return if I offer an owner finance exit strategy. Right. Now, again, an owner finance exit strategy may not be the best on this property because I've got somebody that's going to offer me 99% of the ARV and I'm going to get that today and I'm going to be able to move on and roll that capital into another deal. You've got to stop focusing on everything and saying, this is how I'm going to solve a problem before I've even seen what the right. problem is. Your job as a real estate investor is to market and find problems. Find the problems, generate the leads. That's the biggest issue that so many real estate investors have is they don't know how to generate the leads. And that's with every business. That's with, if you've got a coaching and consulting firm, you're offering products, services, investments. If you'll look and see, every time Richard Branson, Elon Musk, Steve Jobs, when he was with, when, was when he was with us and running Apple. When they would launch new products, when when Apple would went from the the Mac to offering an iPad and a MacBook, they did that from a stage, and they 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 promoted that from a stage, and they went all across the world promoting their product from a stage and doing advertising for it, right? And so now they're generating leads as quickly as possible. Okay, and so same thing with property, you've got to generate the leads. What is the problem that you're going to solve? Okay, so if it's if it's uh, distressed properties, people that have owned their property for ten plus years, high equity, non-owner occupied, out of state owners, with maybe an eviction or a water shutoff or whatever the case, whatever your lead source is, you can't take that lead source and say I'm going to solve every one of their problems with this one strategy. Right. And then take every one of those problems and say, the only way that I'm going to do it is I'm going to exit it with this one strategy. Because now you're narrowing your, you're narrowing your output availability. Okay. And so if that's wholesaling only, well, you're now saying, I am going to rely on the investors around knowing that all the investors are ready to buy products at this time and that the market is strong enough to allow investors to buy products at a premium enough for me to sell them to them. Okay. And so you've got to then take, okay, what's the deal I'm getting? If you're getting a sub two deal, there's no reason, 99% of the time, there's not a reason to be wholesaling that. Now, if it's a sub two deal and they're behind $10,000 on taxes and they're behind $12,000 on their, their mortgage payment, they're $22,000 behind and you don't have $22,000 to do that deal and it needs another $10,000 in repairs and you don't have the money to do that deal, but it's still a really good deal. Okay, I get it. Maybe you need to wholesale that deal because you don't have the funds to do it yet. But again, that's not an excuse. We didn't have the funds when we started out. We raised the capital. Right. Everybody could go out tomorrow and start raising capital. And I, I do I coach on how to raise capital and how we raised seventeen million dollars in our first year with no experience. No, I mean our experience were failures. If we would have used that experience alone to raise the capital, we shouldn't have been raising capital because we weren't really doing enough to justify buying more and doing the exact same thing that we had been doing. Now, albeit we went in and we we learned how to do it properly. Right. And so we started using those opportunities every time we had deals. But there's no reason that anybody can't come in and start raising capital immediately to start doing deals. It's it's an excuse. And so don't pigeonhole yourself into one exit strategy or one acquisition strategy or lead source only. Focus like on it. a market, focus on a niche, and then cast your Well, network. And that's why I asked that question because you, what's popular might not always be the best solution for Absolutely. the customer. So, so then right. that question number three, the oh, last you do have one, one more. Yeah, I've got one more. And so I, why do you always wear a tie? And I've actually been asked this a number of times. Really? One of the questions was, yeah, why do you always wear a tie? So three things. The first one is situational awareness, like know what you're doing, know where you're around and know what type of audience you're trying to attract or command, right? And so 
When I walk into a room, I want to demand the respect of that room. I want to be noticed first. So when we go to events and we do, uh, and, and we are attending events or anything like that, I am always noticed first because I'm dressed as if I own and run the company, which gets me to my second point. Act as if and dress as if you own the company, not work for the company, right? And so that just builds respect. That builds respect within your company. That also builds respect with wherever it is that you go. Political, out of the picture, whether you like the guy or not, Donald Trump. Donald Trump is always dressed in a suit and a power tie, a solid color tie, red, blue, pink, something like that. And he demands the respect of people. He's a He's a, uh, an out of the ordinary, a, a big personality, very strong personality. And when he goes into any situation, he commands the respect immediately. And so pol- politics aside, whether you like him or not, it doesn't matter. He's ran a business. And if you look at any building with his name on the side of it, and uh, two of my partners were in Las Vegas this weekend. If you look at that beautiful gold building with Trump name on it, you're going to pay eight times more for that room as you are at any other room that may be just as nice around it. Right? I mean, you're going to pay $500 minimum a night, four to $500 a night at Trump Tower when you can pay 100 to uh, 150 a night. At the Holiday Inn. Well, the Holiday Inn, <laughs> you're going to be less than that. But, I mean, I'm talking at, at like MGM or anything, no, a nice it. hotel on the Strip. Right? And so, look, situational awareness. Know what you're doing and demand that respect. There's a lot of other people that, I mean, I've been speaking. There's a lot of other people that go out and, and speak and they'll wear a T-shirt and jeans or an untucked button-up and jeans. They don't command the respect of the audience, and the results show. There's a big difference in the results of the people that dress. I mean, I'm not going to go in and name names and stuff like that, but there's a big difference in the results of the people who are dressed professionally and demand the, the respect of the audience immediately and take control of that, and the people who don't, who leave that up to assumption. Yeah, that's and, a good point. And then the third, the third point is, I mean, my name is Ty. Like, that's a powerful name, and I can't just say, hey, my name's Ty, and not be wearing right. a tie. Right? You can't like, show up with a fucking scuba outfit right? on. <laughs> so, <laughs> awesome. But, so, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Definitely subscribe to our YouTube channel. Like my Facebook page, at Real Estate Millionaire. Follow me. If you have questions, if you want answers to this, some yeah, of this stuff. Yeah, shoot a message. Absolutely. Start. I mean, I try to... Uh, to um, communicate with people that are sending me messages and, and stuff like not, that. And if not, I'll make sure that he checks it. Yeah, or, or maybe on it's one of your snooping. questions. Maybe I don't immediately respond to it or something like that, but it'll be one of the questions that, right. I, that I pull up and answer on the podcast and you'll get it answered live because more than likely, more pe- most of the questions that I answer, it's because I've been asked the same question multiple times. Good stuff, so, man. Thanks for the time. Fantastic. Appreciate you guys watching. We'll see you next, next week. week. I will be here. Yeah. Mm. I'll be here next week. We'll see you guys.